Praise the Lord. I, uh, I don't preach outside of my church very often, uh, so I don't know how this will turn out. I called my wife this morning, and we were praying together over some things we have, and I asked her to pray over our service this morning. We got done praying. She said, now you behave. So... Not sure what she meant by that. I, I thought I was always pretty well behaved, but apparently there is some other discussion um, about that. So I, I don't know uh, how long we'll go this morning. I told Chris, I said, I got about eight sermons loaded, and I'm not sure which one I'm going to go with here. Um, I'm just kidding. That's not true, but um, I have none loaded. No. Um, I actually don't speak with notes very often, so when my wife said behave, I thought I better bring him just in case, so um, we'll try to stick with the notes and, and do as much as we can. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm just by myself. None of my family's with me, so uh, Sherry's working, and we, get, we just put our house up for sale, so there's a, a couple of mitigating circumstances going with that. My daughter moves back into college tomorrow, so there's some things going on, but uh, I talked to Sherry this morning. She said to send her love up here, so... There you go. There's our love. Um, know what that means, but uh, grab your Bibles and let's turn to uh, 2 Kings chapter 13. I don't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, but uh, 2 Kings 13. But I'm, I'm away from home, and, and so I, I feel like, you know, when I'm here, I, I want to probably do more preaching than teaching. You guys have some good teaching here, so uh, we will just try to preach and see how this turns out. 2 Kings chapter 13, I think is where we're at. I've, I've got it in my, on my computer. I, I've seen pastor preach with his computer. So usually I don't do, usually I print mine out. And, and then when I do use my computer, I usually have a cover. But I'm pardoned for all my stickers this morning. Um, if you're distracted by, they're all fly fishing stickers. But um, except there is a hide and seek Bigfoot world champion sticker. But um, so don't tell my wife I forgot my cover. She'll be mad at me. 2 Kings chapter 13. We're just going to read a couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll jump into this. Um, and hopefully hopefully this will be good this morning. I think it will. All right, so uh, I think we got the New King James Version dialed in here this morning. It says, uh, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And then Joash the king of Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrow. So he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. And then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died, and they buried him, and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about this, and I know it's kind of a, an odd title, but we're going to talk about turning victory into defeat, turning victory into defeat. So let's pray. Father, we love you today. We give you praise, glory, honor in this place. We thank you for all that you do for us. God, thank you for bringing us to this place. I know it's not what we had in mind, but you're not surprised. Um, and we thank you, Lord, for being here. Felt your presence already during worship and just ask you to minister through your word to people, God. Find some nugget here. Find some truth that propels us towards the things that you have for us. And we will give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Everyone says amen. So turning defeat or victory into defeat, kind of a backwards way. So let me just give a little background here and then kind of where I'm coming from so you know. Um, it, and this is just my, my consideration, my system of thinking is, is that we, as Christians, if you're a Christian, I assume most of you are here, if you're not, I don't know what you're doing here at 1030 on a Thursday morning, but we're glad you're here. Um, but I, I start with the premise that victory is already mine because of what Christ did for me. I, I start with that concept. I'm, I, I'm, 
I'm over, I'm over the top with this thinking that if I don't start where Christ finished, I'll never run well. So I, I have to start. My, my goal is not victory. For, for years in our services and growing up in Pentecostal services, it always seemed like victory was the goal we were after. We were trying to get somewhere where we could finally be happy. We used to sing songs, everybody's going to be happy. We weren't happy now, but we're going to be happy eventually. Um, and so we, we start with this, this premise, or at least I do, that everything that Christ wants me to have has already been purchased for me. There's this thing about faith that needs to activate. There's some promises that need to be worked out. But the work for getting that is already done. So I'm starting from a place of victory. I'm not trying to make God happy enough to give me victory. I'm not trying to earn my way so that mercy drops around me can fall and that one day God will be happy with me and then somehow surreptitiously He's going to bless me. We have no rhyme or reason to understand why God's good. We just know that occasionally He is and so we try to make Him as happy as we can, as often as we can, so then we can have some level of victory in our lives. I just don't believe that to be true. I believe that Christ is the victor. Um, there's an old Latin term that we seem to have abandoned through the years, and it was Christus Victor, and it literally means this, that Christ is always victorious in everything, above everything. His victory has never been challenged. There's never been a doubt. There's never been a worry that Christ's victory has been paid for. Now, I understand that there's a difference between what has been paid for and what I've received. Um, but just because it's paid for doesn't always mean that I'm getting what Christ has for me. So we're going to continue with this. And, and I think maybe somehow in the mystery of this scripture that I've always kind of found odd. I, I like this story. I think there's some answers here for us. So we'll, we'll look at it. So let me give you the setting. Just so you know, we're starting from a place of victory. So what, let, me, let me say it like this. If we're not experiencing the victory of God, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. If we're not careful, we get into this negotiating our victory down until we, we, we chip away at the things that God has promised us until we get it down to a palatable format that now it's okay. It doesn't look like victory to anybody else, but we call it victory because we've negotiated down the things that Christ has done for us. Well, it's not what we were hoping, but you know, we, we live in this kind of this, this weird epiphany of, well, it could be worse. Right? It, it could be worse. Can, can I just say, Jesus never said stuff like that. Jesus never went around praying for people and ministering to people and say, well, didn't work out the way I wanted, but at least you're, right? He didn't raise Lazarus from the dead and say, well, your finger fell off while you were dead, but at least you're alive, right? I like the song we sang about, you know, we're, we're restored, we're, there's brokenness that's been healed. I think a lot of times we've adapted this mentality that somehow we've just got to make it or fake it until we make it and, and, and then kind of dumb it down. I just really believe this, that you and I are never going to run well until we realize that Christ has already made us victory or victorious. And so what I mean by that is this, and I'm going to get to this message, I think. Uh, I think I am. You and I are never going to be able to rise and shine as lights in darkness if we're still trying to get to the light that we think we're supposed to have. I get it. You may always be striving to get to that thing, but I'm telling you, you don't have to. Victory can be yours if you will put your faith in the work of Christ in your life. Otherwise, you're chasing after and trying to earn something that I promise you, you will never be good enough to earn. You're never going to be good enough to earn. I get that sometimes we, we feel like we're doing good, we're serving the Lord. I had this epiphany about 10 years ago that no matter how hard I tried, I was never going to be good enough. I just wasn't. I could jump through all the hoops. I could, so I was going to have to put the trust that the victory that Christ had purchased for me was going to come into my life and was going to transform me from the inside out so that I could walk in the victory that he had promised me. There's something about doing that that makes me dependent on him every day because the victory never comes from me. It always comes from him through me to walk out the things that Christ has. So then Christ is being manifested in my life. Amen. So when we start with victory, I have a message here somewhere. We can rise every day to live for Jesus with victory and we can do as the scripture says, rise and shine. 
Some of us, the light is not on very bright. I didn't say you weren't bright. I just said the light isn't on very bright because we're always trying to get to somewhere that Christ said we should already be at. So this is the gist of what I want to talk about because I think most of the time when we're not living in victory, it's because we have turned victory into defeat. And I want to look at a couple of things that I think happened. So Joash is the king of Israel. He's not a good dude. Didn't, you know, very little said about him. And what is said about him is not good. So like many of the kings of Israel. The kingdom had been split. Amaziah was the king of Judah. And he was threatening them. They were fighting as they always do. It seems like that's what God's people like to do. We like to fight with each other. I don't know why. We've been part of a church. I've been <laughs> always fighting over something. Uh, we had a church split when I was about 15 years old over the color of the carpet. Yeah, I don't know why we just didn't rip the carpet out and say, fine, we just won't have carpet. Everybody's happy. Elisha had been the symbol of God's power and the voice of God for almost 55 years at this time. Um, but he's sick and he's dying. Uh, and uh, apparently it's evident that he's, that he's dying. The king comes to him and is, is sad and gives this uh, chariot of Israel thing, which was kind of symbolic or a statement that they made when somebody was going to be passing away. And, and he comes to them, uh, and it's, it's an amazing thing, I think. And there's some commentary here we probably don't need to get into. But I just think it's amazing how many people don't want to have anything to do with the things of God until trouble is right knocking at their door, right? And then they're like, would you pray for me? No, I will not. I'm sorry. No, I, we didn't do that. But, uh, you ever, you, but you do feel like that sometimes. Listen, you, you, uh, you, does anybody know uh, Danny Norris? He's pastors in Missouri and used to preach out here quite a bit. He was talking one time, and he was talking about a service he was in, and he just had really preached hard, prayed hard. Nobody got behind the revival services. Nobody. And finally, they got to a breakthrough in the service, and he said, man, people are just shouting and, you know, just going through the motions. And he said I was, he was mad. He said, Lord, I pushed this cart all the way up the hill by myself, and I don't think anyone else should get to ride it down the other side. Um, so sometimes you feel like that. Um, but it's amazing to me how many people that don't trust. And Joash had never been a guy that had put any confidence in the prophet's voice, never put any confidence in God, didn't tear down the altars, continued in the way of evil. But now that the man of God's dying, he's like, I'm sad, and we're in trouble. Um, so he comes to Elisha, and that's where this scripture comes all into. And I want to break this down just a little bit. We're not going to, for sake of time, we're not going to go back through and read it. Just keep it there, and you, and you can look at it. But how in the world does, so this becomes the last, actually the last recorded prophecy of Elisha um, that he gives. So I don't know if that makes it any more powerful or anything else, but it is the last one that he gives. And it's the last thing that he does as kind of the set man of God over the nation of Israel. And uh, I, I thought, man, it's kind of sad. This is the last thing he does. And, and Joash blows it. Um, but it, it kind of brings me back to where we're at, you know. There, there is an opportunity for us to receive and be the people of God no matter what's going around. But we have to follow through. There, there, it is, there is opportunity. I, I do get tired of kind of the doom and gloom as if God's still not in charge. I think He still is. I mean, I, last time I checked, uh, hey, are you still in charge? Um, I, I think he said yes. I don't, I mean, we never had that conversation, but I, I'm pretty sure he's still in charge. But there's a lot of this feeling. I, I want to tell you this, that in the history of God's dealing, nothing changes. God is always willing to do what he wants to do. Revival and a move of God is not something that is surreptitious. It's not, well, we just don't know, brother. We're just hoping and we're just throwing our prayers up and hoping God will. It, there, there, is, there is a systematic thing that when God's people do what they're supposed to do, God always does what he's supposed to do. That's never in question. God is consistent. God doesn't change. He always does what he wants to do when we do what we're supposed to do. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know why. You can work on your own theology on this, but God has limited the scope of what he does on this earth through us. I don't know why he chose to limit himself. We know that. Scripture talks about they limited the Holy One of Israel. Jesus himself, walking on the earth, said he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So we know that there is a hindrance that we create. And I know sometimes we think, well, brother, God's will always is always done. I would beg to differ with you on that, actually. 
the Bible said that God's not willing that any should perish, that all come to repentance. And we know that thousands, if not millions of people every year go into eternity without having repented and ever having accepted Christ. And yet it was the will of God for them to accept Him, to be renewed, to be forgiven, and to walk in the glory of His kingdom. And it did not happen. So this will of God concept needs to get out of our minds and quit blaming the sovereignty of God on the mess that we have made because we have not done our job on our watch. It's time for the body of Christ to realize that we don't have to make excuses for God. We need to rise up and be the people of God in our generation. Amen. All right, point one. <laughs> I got to behave. All right, how do we turn victory into defeat? So let's look at this real quick. The, the first thing, and I have a couple of points here with, with some phrases that I gave. You might like them, you might not. I just try to help you remember a little bit. But the first way that we turn defeat or victory into defeat is by, we'll do a little reverse Nike thing. Uh, don't just do it. Don't just do it. For whatever reason, in the process of Joash striking these arrows that he was... And there's some stuff that we could get into, but we're not going to have time to do that. But the process of him striking these arrows, at some point, with the nation and children and grandchildren at stake, the, the, I mean, the viability of the entire nation at stake... He just stops for whatever reason. I don't know if he had a headache. I don't know what was going on. But I know that in some place where he hits the arrows, as he was told, he just quits hitting the arrows. Now, I don't know why he quit. Scripture doesn't. So we're going to have to try to reverse engineer this a little bit. But we know that he stopped after three times. And I I can identify with this a little bit, if I'm being honest. I love to get things started. And man, I hate finishing them. We just put our house up for sale, and everywhere we went, there's those baseboards we never put down. There's that wall we never patched that we were going to. You know, there's just, and and I looked at my wife, and I said, man, I started a lot of projects around here. And she said, yeah, we didn't finish anymore. I said, let's just talk about the starting. Let's just talk about the starting. My intentions were good, right? Isn't it amazing how often we want to judge ourselves on our our intentions? (laughs) I want to be judged by what my heart was on the issue, not the outcomes. Unfortunately, that's not the way the world works, right? We don't get judged on our intentions, but but on the outcomes. And so, for whatever reason, he stops and he doesn't finish. I can identify. Uh, I, I can. I think I can say that sometimes I don't always finish well, um, but I start well. So let's look. Just going to concentrate on that. Um, in terms of of the success that we have in the victory of Christ. I wonder how often we don't get the victory that Christ has for us simply because we stopped. Simply because we just gave up. Uh, I got a couple of stories. I won't have too many this morning. But um, there was a, a young man that got called into ministry about the same time I did. He was a year older than me. And uh, we both felt like God had placed a call on our lives and we were both fighting over who would get to preach on Wednesday nights. Back in those days, they let all the young guys preach on Wednesday nights. And so we'd always, you know, go to pastor. I got a really good message, pastor. I think I should preach Wednesday. And, and then his name was Charlie. And Charlie would say, I, I think I got a better one. And I'd say, ah, I don't think so. And, uh, this one's pretty good. We would compete over who would get to preach on Wednesday nights. And, and uh, that had gone on for some time. And he's a year older than me, so he had just graduated high school. And we had a lady in our church. She'd been a... a just a, one of those ladies that just was full of God, you know, not real loud, not real involved, but just always showed up and just had such a heart for the Lord, and, and uh, God would often put on her heart to do things for people, and so, trying to get to the end of the story, uh, Charlie had met with us and uh, had met with a pastor, and, and another guy across town had been kind of wooing him over to his church. It's kind of the way that they did things back in the Pentecost Church of God. <laughs> Even though we're partners, we're going to take your people. Um, and, um, and so the offer was, if you come over here, you'll get to preach every Wednesday. You won't have to swap with any of the other young preachers. And so, as it was, he started to feel like the Lord was leading him over there. And um, so he met with pastor and said, you know, I, I think I'm going to go over to the other church. And, you know, I really feel like the Lord's leading. He said, are you sure? Because, you know, what do you do when somebody says the Lord's leading? At that point, I have no argument with you. If you said, either I'm going to have to say the Lord didn't say or we're just going to have to trust that you got it right. 
and often they don't get it right. But what are you going to say? You can't argue with them. You say, listen, you're not hearing anything. But, I mean, it's just a bad conversation. There's no winning when somebody, there's no winning when somebody says they've heard the Lord. There's, you're done. At that point, you're just, okay, well, good luck. I hope you did. And if you didn't, you know, hearing aids. I don't know. Um, but Charlie left, and he went over there. The following Wednesday night, this little lady came, and she said to me, she said, where's Charlie? I said, well, unfortunately, sis, he's gone. He decided to go to the other church. He res- resigned, turned his resignation in. He's, he's moved over to, to that church. And, uh, and she said, oh, that's sad. She said, well, I, I want to talk to pastor. I said, okay. So we knocked on pastor's door and come in. I said, hey, sis wants to talk to you. And uh, she said, so he said hey, come on in. So I got to sit in the meeting. And uh, she said, oh, I, I'm, I'm a little confused. She said, because I really felt like the Lord was speaking to me to send Charlie to Bible school. And I, I wanted to pay his way to Bible school. And, and, and pastor said, well, he, you know, he left the church. I don't know. I can call him. And she said this. She said, no, I feel like that if he didn't want to stay a part of our church, then maybe, maybe that's not. And I said, I, I would like to go to Bible college next year. If it's still available, I'm still here. Um, she actually did pay for my first year of Bible school. Um, it wasn't about six months later that Charlie got away from the Lord, got caught stealing some stuff and ran from the law and had all sorts of things. And, and uh, I don't know what the outcome. The last area I was able to check him, he was up in the state of Washington doing a long stretch in prison for attempted murder. Um, I can't help but to think that had he just not stopped following what God was doing, that victory would have been completely different than what he experienced. Now, maybe your victory doesn't end in the state penitentiary in Washington State, but I wonder how often the things that God has for us are not manifested because we just quit. We, we just gave up. I don't know what it was with him. Maybe he felt ridiculous. Maybe he just lost interest. Maybe he thought beating, uh, he was the king, so maybe he thought beating arrows on the ground was beneath him. Maybe he thought it was a waste of his time and there were better things to do. But for whatever excuse he gave himself for not going to church, not following the Lord, not reading his Bible, not dialing into the things that God had for him, he just quit. And, and his quitting not only stopped the flow of what God could do in his life, but it, it literally destined a nation to servitude because he just simply stopped. If we can't just keep going, I wonder often if the battle could be won, not because we're awesome, but because we just don't quit. We just don't. In a day and age where it feels like we have to be the best at everything and the church is so competitive and all that, I wonder sometimes if God's not looking down and saying, listen, victory isn't about looking polished. It's not about the performance. It's about you just sticking with it. Amen. All right. Another way you can turn victory or victory into defeat. It's hard to say that backwards. Um, it just goes against my grain. But if sometimes we, we get this mentality, if we're not quitting, then we just do enough to get it done. I call this partial obedience. I'm amazed at how many times in my own life I want to apply minimal effort but achieve maximum results. Right? Anybody else ever feel like that? The older I've got, I'll be 50 years old next year. Can you believe that? 50 years old. Um, it feels old. To anybody that's older than that, I apologize. But <laughs> This is my first time. So it feels, feels old to me. My daughter actually said I'm not old until I hit 50. And then she said you'll be officially old. My daughter is also not getting her college paid for this year. <laughs> but, but. I really feel like I don't have time to get into this subject, but I wrote something a few years ago, and I went off that AMPM. Everybody, the AMPM stores? And I don't know why one day the Lord was just kind of talking to me about that. I have a weird sense about me sometimes, and I was actually sitting outside getting gas, and I saw AMPM, and I actually felt like the Lord spoke to me about my, my absolute minimum and my projected maximum, my AMPM. And how many times I've not ever achieved my projected maximum of what I feel like the Lord wants to do in my life because I'm doing my absolute minimum. I feel like there are times in our lives, in our walk with the Lord, we do that. We set, I'm never going to drink, I'm never going to get to that place, I'm never going to cheat. But yet, we get to a place where we're like, well, this is as low as I'll go. The problem is, as low as you go will never get you to as high as God wants to take you. 
And sometimes we have this mentality of just, okay, you know, I'm going to hit the, you're going to hit the sticks and I'm going to, you know, one, two, three, is that enough? I don't know. I'm going to, I'm doing what you said to do. And, but we just do as little as possible and expect God. There's a great statement that I love that Mark Batterson said. I, I don't love everything he said, but I love this. He said, if we will be willing to do the natural, God will always do the super. I'm just convinced that most of the time we give up on the natural so we never see the super, Right? There is an expectation when God says to do something that we do it. Now, it's amazing because Joash did what he was told, and yet victory still turned into failure. Can I just submit an idea to you that if we want the victory of God, it may require more than half-heartedness. It may require more than just the duty that we think. If we're going to see God do what God wants to do, it may take us putting our entire lives into this thing and giving more than just partial obedience. Amen? Doing just enough. The third thing that will turn victory into defeat for us, uh, and I call this one for the love of arrows. For the love of arrows. Where are my arrows? I, I brought arrows for illustration. It just helps me to swing something at people. I, I asked Chris if he would uh, allow me to shoot him with an arrow while bare-chested. He said no. So I think I said no one wants to see that. Maybe not the bare chest, but maybe the arrow shooting we might want to see. Just kidding. For, for the love of arrows. You know, it's amazing to me that he was, you know, arrows are not meant to be struck on the ground. Any bow hunters? Any got anybody bow hunters here? Um, I do a little bit of bow hunting. Uh, not a lot. By hunting, I mean I go out in the woods. After practicing for months and months and months at my range of 30, 40, 50, 60 yards, got them all dialed in, and then I get out there and I never see a deer. That's what hunting in California is like um, in an archery hunter. I love, I, love, I love bow hunting. I don't love rifle. It just seems unfair. Right, right? I'm not saying that bow hunting is fair, but it seems more fair than rifle hunting. My brother sent me a picture. He's quite the hunter. He sent me a picture of just this huge Colorado buck he shot a couple years ago. I mean, just massive. Uh, Boone and Crockett scored, got on the, the thing, and he said, I shot this thing at 678 yards. I said, that is an incredible shot. He said, well, I've got this scope that hooks up to the app on my phone. And he said, it tracks the windage, and so you literally just, you know, it tells you what to do. Three clicks up, two to the left, here's the wind, here's your elevation. I said, that's not hunting, that's a video game. Yeah. It's a video game. But, but arrows are meant to be shot. They're, they're not meant to be hit on the ground. It's just, it's not what they're meant for. They bend, and then they don't shoot straight when you've hit them on the ground. Maybe that is the problem that, that they had, that Joash had in this situation. Maybe he just loved his kingly arrows. I, I can imagine that, you know, because he probably didn't shoot them much, but he probably was a collector. And he was like, man, these are my best arrows. And I, I don't want to hit them too hard because then they'll bend. And not that I ever shoot them, but, you know, they look nice on my, on my wall. I wonder how often we turn victory into defeat simply because we're trying to hold on to things that we shouldn't be trying to hold on to. I wonder how often we become collectors instead of competing for the things of God. I wonder how often we've admired things instead of advancing the kingdom. I wonder how often we have been trying to save the things in our life instead of swinging for the fences. I wonder how often that we have fallen into a thing where we love our arrows so much and what we have that we're unwilling to risk anything for the victory that God has for us. I wonder how often we have not stepped just a little bit farther forward in confidence and it cost us a victory. I, I, I have a story. When I, we were in Lincoln, we moved to Lincoln to start a church there, and it didn't go well. <laughs> yet, yet a failed church experiment, but um, it was fun. I was pumping gas, actually, at the, at the gas station. I'd been there, and I was really trying to be outward. We are trying to start a church, so I'm trying to get to know people, and there's a guy pumping gas on the other side of me, and I just really felt prompted to talk to him. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, I don't want to be one of those guys, but... So I got talking to him, you know, tried to shoot the breeze. He had a Giants hat on. I was like, hey, Giants, yeah. You know, we love the Giants. Hate the Dodgers. Yes, amen. Good stuff. And yeah, we just got talking, had about a five-minute conversation. And somehow the Lord just made himself manifest there. And we began talking. He said, oh, you know, do you live in Lincoln? I said, I just moved here. We're, you know, part of a church planning team. We're trying to start a church here. And I went about five minutes, just eyes teared up and. You know, he said, ah, my, my dad actually was a pastor in this church. I actually had known his dad. Um, 
And uh, he said, man, I, I've been away from the Lord a long time. And I was like, oh, you know, that's really, so I got back in my truck. I, I got ready to, to, to drive off, and I just felt prompted by the Lord. Why, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you do more? So I was already, you know, halfway out, and I saw him. He was getting in his truck, and I thought, just be so easy. But instead, I stopped, backed up, and I said, hey, you know, and he was kind of driving away. So I hit the side of his truck and really embarrassed myself. People started looking in the parking lot. And I said, hey, man, I, I just really felt bad. I, you know, we were talking to the Lord, talking about the Lord, and I just kind of let you go. I said, can I pray with you? Is there something, you know, that I can talk to you about? And, and he just broke right there. And I mean, just sobbing and weeping. And he said, man, I'm struggling. He said, I don't even think God cares about me anymore. And, you know, just the whole thing that you go through. His wife had just left him and they just filed bankruptcy. He'd lost his company and all these things. And I'm like, hey, I just want to talk to you about the giants. Uh and I was embarrassed, and I, you know, you, you get to where I know, I'd love to tell you that I'm just always this very forward-thinking, you know, Jesus guy, but at that moment, I was embarrassed. Everyone's looking around. He's sobbing out loud in the parking lot, and you know, at some point, you just can't love your arrows more than you love what God's trying to do. So I took my feelings and my arrows, and I just banged them, and I said, well, let, let's just pray with you, man. Can I just pray with you? Can I just... Can I talk to you and, and just, you know, just started to minister me, what, what, I, what I felt like. And, you know, I, I, I know you've probably done some crazy things, but I just don't think God's quit loving you, man. And maybe that's why I'm here today, just to remind you that God still cares about you. And, you know, is there a pathway? Is there a pathway for us to get you back on? What, what is that going to look like? What's that going to take? And, and we prayed, and, and I didn't have much going on because I'm such a man of faith and power. I said, I'm sure there's a really good church in town we can hook you up with. Um, <laughs> And uh, I actually had a friend of mine that pastored a, a church there, and I called him up and just felt like he needed more than probably our little group would be able to give him and, and, and connected him and, and uh, still, still friends with him on Facebook, still serving the Lord. And uh, I, I can't tell you how often that story reminds me that I can't love my arrows more than I love the obedience to follow Christ. All right, let's continue. We're almost done. How long have I been preaching? About half an hour? Why are you looking at your clock? Are you timing me? All right, one more thing that will turn uh, turn victory into defeat. This one I'll just call three is not enough. And, and this is what I call the failed art of perfection. I wonder sometimes if we fail and we stop at three. I, I don't know. I, I've asked the Lord. What? I'm sure Joash thought the thing. You know, Elijah just said, Elisha said, hit, hit, you know, hit the arrows. He never gave a number. And, and I thought about that. I thought, Lord, this is kind of unfair. You didn't say how many times he was supposed to hit it. So, you know, the, I, what, you just said hit the arrows, strike the arrows, and that's what he did. But then the man of God, I'm just, have you ever felt like people had expectations of you? They didn't tell you what the expectations were, but when you didn't live up to it, they were unhappy with you. And you're like, I just didn't know. I've been married for almost 25 years. This has happened a lot. Where I didn't know that's what you wanted. Had you said, so you're, you know, you, have you had those conversations? You're mad because you didn't tell me what you wanted. I tried to do what you said, but you didn't tell me. Could you just have told me? You should already know. I wonder if Joash felt like that. <laughs> He's like, yes, got it. And the man of God said, nope, now you're doomed. You didn't hit it five or six times. You stopped at three. I would have been like, could you have let me know that there was a number I mean, at least then I could have had a guess. I'm just shooting in the dark here. Strike, it could have been one. I did three. I think I broke an arrow. Nope, we're still good. I think there's this concept sometimes in our lives that God is looking for the exact things. I don't think the magic number was five or six. We certainly know it wasn't three. I actually don't think there was a magic number. 
I think oftentimes we want the answers from God ahead of time. We want to know everything in exact detail. I, I wonder if that's how we've gotten weird with all the prophecy stuff that's gone on. That, that we're always wanting to know everything before. And that's just not the way that God works. At least it's not the way that God's worked in my life. You know, I, we were driving down the road last night, and I, I, I was having conversations with the Lord. I said, well, Lord, you knew the fire was going to be here. Could you have told us before we drove all the way up here? I was feeling bad for pastor. I could tell he was sad and down. I was like, it would have been nice, Lord, just to tell us. You knew. You know, did you ever have conversations? I have conversations like that with the Lord sometimes. They're generally one-sided. You knew you could have told us who was there. You know, and then if you're like me, you're always trying to find the hidden meaning. Okay, there's a reason why, God, that you didn't want us up there. And maybe it's God. And then we're like, nope, it's the devil. He's really been fighting us. I, I don't know. Maybe so. I'm just not sure that the enemy, the devil, started a fire a week ago so we wouldn't be able to have camp. I don't know. Maybe he's that detailed. I don't know. Maybe he is. I just think that oftentimes in life, we're looking for the exact details and the exact meaning, and when we don't get it, we feel like we don't have victory. Can I just say this? Whether we're up at Mount Lassen or whether we're right here in Anderson, whether it's 80 degrees or it's 106 degrees, the victory of God has not changed. What God wants to do in your life and in my life has never changed. It's always been the same. I think we get hung up on things having to be our way and hit the sticks the way we think they should be and not trusting that God's looking for something different than perfection in our lives. We want to know why. I, I wrote this down. I think God is always more interested in the what than he is the why. What are you doing with your life? Keep going. Keep trying. Sometimes our effort feels like it's wasted or it's unimportant or it feels like we're not getting where we want to get. And so there's a tendency to try to blame, well, I just couldn't do it good enough. or I just. And there's this feeling of having to be exact and to have to get things right and have to be perfect all the time. And I just want you to know that will always cause victory to turn into defeat if you feel like you always have to get everything right for God to bring his manifest wisdom into your life. Now, understand God wants to bring total victory and he wants you to get it right, but he understands that you don't always get it right. Aren't you glad that God is for you and not against you? And he's looking at the heart. Listen, I have made some colossal mistakes in my life with the right heart. I made bad decisions with bad information, but my idea was not to be bad. It just wasn't. I didn't get it perfect. I moved my entire family to a place where none of them wanted to go, and yet I said, it's God we're going to go. Eight months later, I was like, I don't know. If it was God, we're, we're heading back with our tail between our legs. We're, we, you know, we, we left full and we're coming home empty. Um, but my intentions weren't bad and I didn't get it perfect. And if we're not careful, we'll manifest that self-loathing and, oh, I just can't get anything right. Everybody hates me. I just can't do this right. And we'll never have the victory that Christ wants for us because we feel like we have to be perfect. I'm telling you, the goal is not perfection. The goal is unity with Christ. If you keep coming back to Him in a sincere heart, transformation will take place. Isn't it amazing how many times you mess up, how many times I mess up, and the first thing we, well, I can't pray now. I, listen, I have been, I have mastered the art of messing up. I am so good at it. That's why my wife said behave. I can't tell you how many times that I've messed up. Sometimes, not on purpose, sometimes I just messed up. It was a bad choice, made some bad decisions. Knew it was bad, still did it. I can't tell you how many times I've come back into the place of prayer with God and found no condemnation, but found a God that was saying, I'm here and I love you. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> I actually had God speak that to my heart one time. It's like, God, I am so sorry. He said, I just, I, I really felt it in my heart, not with my ears. God said, I want you to know, I love you. And I felt his love. He said, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I was like, do we have to? <laughs> Already repented, we're moving on. I think sometimes the failed art of perfection 
leads us away from the Lord. All right, let me wrap this up. Are we good for wrapping up? It's one thing to turn victory into defeat. But how do we maintain the victory that God has for us? Just give a couple of things here and then we'll close this out. What is God really looking for? If victory really is the starting place and not the end place, then, then how do we walk in that? This is what I think. This is what I think was missing from Joash. It just seems like when I read the text that his heart was just never really in it. Never really had been faithful to the Lord before. It's kind of a last ditch effort. Never followed the man of God's wisdom before and yet he seemed to want to do it at this point. But there seemed to be no passion. I think sometimes we're often more worried about how we're going to die and things like that. We went through this COVID thing and everyone's so fearful of dying. Uh, you know, this, oh, I don't want to get sick, I don't want to die. I, don't want... I wonder why we spend so much time thinking about the negative rather than I wonder how God wants me to live. I don't think God's up there in heaven saying, I want you to die well. I think God's up there saying, I want you to live well. I want you to live well. I want you to wake up and live for me every day. I want you to rise and shine. I want my glory to be on you so when you walk out and, 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 and you're out in the world, you're shining as lights in the darkness and, and you're living out. I just wonder sometimes if we're so worried about the negative that we've never had a positive target. I'm not worried about what I shouldn't do. I need to be more focused on what I should do because I'm just telling you that we're better when we're moving forward than when we're moving away from something. I'm not saying we shouldn't shun evil. We should. But there's so much more ease when we're following after what we should. I'm better at shooting when I have a target. Right? I'm not looking at the tree that I'm trying to miss. I'm looking at the target that I'm trying to hit. The thing that we do. I think victory is, Brother Chris and I have talked about this. I've got to wind this down. What is God really looking for? If it's not perfection, it's not just enthusiasm. We can be enthused about anything. I can get excited about baseball. I can get excited about football. Man, I can get excited about fishing. Uh, let's just pause for a moment and be excited about fishing. It's not enthusiasm. It's more than that. It's something innate inside of us that fires us up with a godly passion for Him. I think when we have a passion for Him, it just solves all the problems. It really comes down to this surrender thing. It seems like Joash just didn't give himself to the moment like he needed to. The whole nation is at stake. The man of God is about ready to draw his last breath. He has to know that this is a bad situation, and yet there's no passion. There's no passion, and that's why the man of God said, why only three times? Your children's lives are at stake. Your grandchildren's lives are at stake. Everything's at stake, and you only gave it three times. I am telling you, God is looking for us not to be perfect, but to be passionate, to give ourselves to Him with everything that we have and say, God, not just at church, not just at home, but everywhere I go. You know, our Western idea of Christianity has left us with a segmented idea of what relationship with Christ looks like. And I, I love some of what we have, but I dislike a lot of what we have. We've got this concept that church is one thing and life is another thing. And I'm here to tell you, they are the exact same things. We, we don't behave one way here and then behave another way there. When we had kids and our kids came in the house... We, 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 we started to make rules because, oh, the kids are here. We've got to, and I got thinking, if the kids shouldn't be doing it, maybe we shouldn't be doing it either. So we just let the kids do it. No, I'm kidding. That's not what we did. I've learned in my life that how I do anything is probably how I'll do everything. If I only want to have a performance mentality and rise to the occasion when it matters most, then I'll probably miss what matters most by focusing on what I thought was important, but not what God thought was important. I wonder how often victory is not manifested in our life because we're looking for a shouting service instead of consistency in our lives, consistency in our work, consistency with our family. 
I wonder if sometimes we haven't segmented things out and changed victory into something that it's supposed to be. I grew up in church where we'd have good service and that was considered victory. And yet marriages were falling apart. Lives were falling apart. I'm not sure how that was victory. We shouted and I love to shout. I still like to shout. Still like all that stuff. But it doesn't always equate to victory in our lives. Yes, God is looking for our passion, but passion about Him. Passion about everything that we have to do. Passion about the way we raise our kids. Passion about the way we drive down the road. Now we're preaching. Passionate about the way we treat people. The way we treat waitresses. The way we treat the people that are serving us. Maybe victory wants to come when the people of God arise and shine and see an opportunity when they're out eating their dinner to strike the arrows for the kingdom of God and let the glory of God shine through our lives. How often do we blame God for the outcomes of our life when in reality the bow and the arrows were in our hands? God, you didn't bring revival. God, you didn't do it. When the reality is, is that God, according to what I see in the word, everything that is necessary and needful for us to overcome and live in victory has already been paid for in Christ. The Bible said he always causes us to triumph. I'm not always walking in that, but it still is true. He does all things well. All right, let's finish this up. Oftentimes it's what happens next in our lives that either empowers God's design for us or limits his overall plans. I don't know that when we get to heaven, we get to watch. We used to talk about that. We get to watch on the TV all the things that we missed. And I don't think that's probably what happens. I don't know. I've never been there. But um, I do think of how many times I wonder that I've missed what God wanted to do. Because I just didn't do what I needed to next. You know, the man of God wasn't asking a lot. He just was saying, strike those arrows. Strike your arrows. I found in my life that God usually is not asking a lot, but he is asking that what he does ask, that I give myself to and surrender. That I plug into what he's asking me to do and I pour myself into it. Last point, and that's this. How do we turn this defeat back into victory? I think it's the rule of the empty quiver. That we give it all. We give everything that we have. To say, God, I am all in I am all out. I am all for you. I'm convinced that the only way that Christianity works is when it's not segmented. God wants everything. He doesn't just want a piece of us. He doesn't just want that. I'm I'm convinced that God is all an all or nothing kind of God. Listen, if you want to, we used to say, well, if you'll just give God a little. I don't think he accepts just a little. I, I think he's saying, hey, I'm here, and if you... Because the little that you don't give is the part that always messes you up. It's the arrow that you don't strike that causes the enemy to raid in the springtime. It's the things that we hold on to. The arrows should have been struck until they were broken, until they were beaten on the ground. The man of God should have wore his arms out. If the arrows didn't break, then he should have stomped on them. He should have hired somebody to come and break them. But instead, he left arrows in the quiver and the job undone. I promise you this, if you will just surrender your life to God, you will have the victory that God promises you. It may not look like you, what you think it's going to look like, but it will be victorious. All right, a couple more things and we're done. I, I'm convinced of this, that our view of God is too small. Sometimes we can't bring ourselves to the realization that God can do it. And if we think he can do it, we just don't think he can do it for me. So we half-heartedly hit our arrows and turn victory into defeat. We think, well, he could probably do it for me, but he's never going to do it in me. He's never going to do it through me. The defining moments of our life are usually not found in what we did, but in how we did it. I've tried to tell my kids for years and years, this is a good one for young people, the measure of maturity in somebody is their ability to handle responsibilities responsibly. can't tell you how many times I've had that discussion with church people. It's not that you didn't do it. It's that you did it so poorly when you did it. Yes, you went and apologized like you didn't want to. Yes, you showed up with a grouchy attitude. Yes, you finally put your money in the offering plate with strings attached, wanting more information than you were supposed to have. Don't shout me down now. It's not just what we do. It's how you do it. You can do everything right and still do it wrong. Empty quiver tells us just to give everything, whatever your hands find to do. 
do with all your might. Now what Colossians taught us, whatever role you find yourselves in, do it as unto the Lord. We're so worried about callings and ministries, and I have a whole different interpretation of the fivefold ministry anyway. I just see it differently, and that's just my take. I'm not teaching that, but I just think we're so caught up into titles and all these things, and God's just not interested in that stuff at all. He's just interested in us living all out for him. You don't need a title. You, you, you don't need a gifting. You just need to show up, grab those arrows, whatever arrows you have in your hand. i got to wind this up. I'm sorry. I'm going long. I'm the morning guy. I can go as long as I want. <laughs> Listen, I didn't even get a title on the flyer. It was Pastor Rod, Pastor Rodney, Missionary Skip Kincaid, and Nathan Dennis. Could have said comedy relief. I don't know. I, uh, you got to earn these things. I get it. You got to earn them. You got to earn them. Let me just wind it with this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You have more power, more opportunity, more potential in your hands than you could ever imagine. If you're a Christian and you love the Lord, you are limitless in your abilities of what God wants to do through your life and how he wants to use you. Whatever arrow you have, grab it and strike it with all your might. You may not like what you have in your hand. You might not like what you have to do. But if you'll do it as unto the Lord, I believe that if you'll do whatever you do, even in small, God will give you increase in your life. I've decided in my life I might not have much. I might not accomplish much. But when I go down, I'm going down with an empty quiver. I will leave it all there and have given my life. God has more planned for us than we could think of imagine. It's really not about what we have in our hand. It's about what we do with what we have in our hand. Today, would you take the arrows that are in your hand, whatever they are, and strike them with everything you have. And strike them again and again and again. Take hold of eternal life. Take hold of God's kingdom. Take hold of your future. Take hold of your destiny. And strike, strike, strike. And see if the Lord won't show up mighty in your life. See if the Lord won't show up mighty in your life. Stand to your feet. I've gone way over my time limit. Let's pray. I don't know if we have music. If you want to do music, Rodney, I don't know what you guys do. Whatever. Father, we love you. Thank you. Almighty God. God, we love you. God, never let it be said of us that we turned victory into defeat simply because we just didn't do enough. God, help us this morning to trust in your goodness, to trust in your promises, to trust in your victory. God, to quit blaming all of our circumstances. It's so easy to negotiate down the victories, Lord, that you've promised us. God, we take our arrows today, whatever they are. God, and we strike them not just on our behalf, but God, we strike them for our future, our children, our heritage. God, that we not give up. God, to grasp hold of the victory that you promised us. To do the natural so that you can do the super in your life. We give you praise and glory for that in Christ's name. In Christ's name. Really quickly, I just want to pray with you. You guys keep doing